Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Bombcast. I'm your host, Steve Lester, and with me, as always, is Mr. Kevin McElroy. We are owners of Bombers and Sleeves, a clothing and lifestyle brand dedicated to the war on self-doubt, where we encourage you to bomb your boundaries and chase after your dreams. Our special guest today is staff songwriter for Vibe City Music right here in Nashville. He's got a top 40 single on the country charts with Stephanie Quayle's What You Drinking About. That's right. We got Mr. Ryland Fisher. So let's go and get into the show. Mr. McElroy, how's it going, baby? Dude, I'm fucking fantastic. It feels so good to be here today. It feels so good to be back on these mics, man. It really does, man. You just can't, you can't replace it, man. We tried it a couple weeks ago, you know, due to the, uh, you know, uh, social distancing issues. But now that that's lifted just a little bit in our uh, home state of Tennessee here, we're back in the room, keeping our six feet, but back to the way that this should be done, man. With cans on, mic in your face. Hot mic, hot mic. Hot mic. That's right. Yeah. Dude, and honestly, I haven't seen you since March 7th. No, nah, man, we uh, we have definitely kept up our end of the bargain with uh, stay, staying distant. And uh, it fucking sucks, dude. We, uh, yeah. We've talked on the phone a few times and texted, but this is weird, man. That's Honestly, dude, that's probably the longest we've gone without seeing each other in... Uh, I can't even remember. What totally. It. No, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it was weird when you when you don't have that bro time. You start. I start getting the shakes. Start foaming at the mouth a little bit. Me too, dude. But yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good to see your face. Yes, we are six feet apart, everybody, and we are recording today's episode in the Bombers and Sleeves warehouse, where we keep all of our fine product tightly wrapped, safely handled, and ready to ship to all you fine people. We wanted to do it down here, I think, because it's a little bit more of an open space, and we can keep that kind of uh, just yeah safe distance. So. It's nice, dude. It's a it's a different vibe too, dude. We were talking off the mic. It's nice. Uh, it's got that nice kind of vo- uh, boys club to it, man. Totally, so, totally yeah, boys to, club. Good to shake up the scenery. Good to be back around people that I give a fuck about. You know, well, outside of my family, I like them, but you know, whatever. they're not bad. Yeah, they're, they're not bad. They're cool, but uh, yeah. It's good to be back, dude. How are you, man? Like, how the fuck are dude, you, dude? I'm good. I'm good. Just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep you try to keep it creative. You know, working out, doing the thing. Um, just, you know, doing as well as I can. You know, but it is. It does feel really nice to finally see you and our special guest here because it does get a little weird when you when you're kind of seeing the same people over and over again, even if you do love them. But uh, it's nice to have the fresh faces, especially people that you love that motivate and inspire you every day. So it's just, it's really nice to to have this. It really is, man. The social isolation thing is no joke, dude. It's, it's fucking no wonder why, like, you know, isolation is a form of torture. Oh, totally. It's like you just start to feel like you did something wrong after a while, and even though that's not the case at all. So I yeah. feel like I've been let out of detention, and I'm, I'm ready to fuck shit up again. There he is. Yeah. He's ready to fly. He's got them <laughs> wings, and they look beautiful. So before we get into our guests, y'all, uh, we're going to update you on a little bomber's news. So as most of you know, we unveiled our collaboration piece with the master of hand styles, Mr. Mark McLaughlin. Now, that was up in Cleveland at the Villain Arts Tattoo Convention um, back in February. Now, we have recently unleashed this beast out into the wild, and now that special collaboration piece is available online at bombersandsleeves.com. So, yes, you can get it now available for you at bombersandsleeves.com. Now, what's not available for you and probably for the next day and a half is any love from us on fucking Instagram. And we apologize about that, but right now we are being blocked for the umpteenth time. So those of you who have left us such great comments and have shown us love. Uh, we're sorry we haven't gotten back to you, uh, but once the block is lifted, we will smother you with some hell yes and some hugs. So, uh, fuck you, Instagram. 
Yeah, seriously, man. Like uh, the fucking rules for that shit change all the fucking time. It's impossible to keep up with it. So you find one strategy that works and then all of a sudden, you know, you're fucked on it. So we apologize if you haven't heard back from us. Um, send us a DM if you need anything because that's like still up and we can still put the stories up too. So maybe we'll f- come up with like some modern day smoke signals. You put it in the in the story. So, Love that. Hey, we're, we're fucked at the moment, but don't yeah. take it personally. It's their fault, not ours. But um, also, um, man, huge thanks to everyone who bought that special collaboration piece with Mark. Um, a lot of work went into that, and it was our most successful online launch to date. Um, and that has everything to do with you guys. So thank you so much for uh, paying attention. Thank you so much for responding to the email marketing that went out, to the social media stuff that went out. Thanks for marking your calendar for it. And it was really cool to see, man, to have a day one successful launch Um of a piece that is really important to us and also helps out a buddy of ours, uh, Mark, uh, was just super cool, man. That's what this is all about. And it just, it was for, for both of us, for Steve and I, man, it was just a really good and much needed rejuvenation during, during this time. Um, cause you guys let us know that you give a shit about what we're doing and we needed, um, we needed that, man. It felt really good. So thank you guys. Absolutely. Thank you guys. No, that's awesome. It, it was actually really cool. That, that was such an exciting day having that first release and just, you know, coming down and, and you guys giving us that love and just constantly we're, we're shipping stuff out. And it just it did. It gave us that little recharge because, you know, as you know, as as, as a clothing company, uh, we do make our living off trade shows and conventions. And since everything has been blocked, uh, this was just a nice boost. And thank you guys so much again. And uh, thanks for letting us know you care. So, Kev, uh, we got one more piece of news that really fucking excited for. I'm going to let the Mac Attack take this one, but uh, Kev, tell them what's going down, doggy. Yo, so to piggyback off of the support that you guys have given us, uh, we are getting attention from uh, industry people as well, namely uh, Agenda Show, which if you guys are not familiar, Agenda is probably one of the top three streetwear conventions in the United States and probably like top 15, top 20 in the entire world. Um, It's a huge convention held every year, either in New York or Las Vegas. Uh, Seven to 10,000 retail buyers come through that convention over the course of two days. It's a huge deal. So man, if you guys have ever been into stores like Zoomies or whatnot, and you've seen uh, brands like Primitive, it's a skatewear brand. Brand, uh, that have been around for a long time that, um, you know, Starter, who we all know Starter Jackets, um, any, basically any skate streetwear brand or any of those, like, I'm not personally into it, but like the hype beast shit, it's, it's all there. And it's a, it's a big deal. It's not open to the public like we're used to, you know, most of the trade shows we've done are all um, open to the public. And usually there's like a different cause for it. It's like a big street fair or, you know, even with the tattoo convention, man, people are there to get tattooed. Uh, It's not necessarily for, um, you know, apparel specifically. So this is the first time uh, that we will actually be at an event uh, where not only is it not open to the public, but all of the people that are invited are actual retail buyers from places like Zoomies or different type mom and pop stores that all specialize in unique streetwear uh, brands and clothing. And, uh, you know, they come there looking for, for the next cool shit. So uh, Agenda Show, it's invite only. That's the big thing. So like they have to invite you as a brand to uh, come out to to be a part of, of the convention. Um, and so we were contacted by the, by the sales team, uh, on social media. They said, Hey man, we dig what you guys have going on. This is going on, uh, February, 2021 
in Vegas at Caesars Palace. We'd love for you guys to be a part of it. And dude, it was basically a no-brainer. I mean, to be a year into this and have a show like that reach out to you is just a, a fucking huge compliment, man. And um, I know for a fact that all you guys listening had something to do with that decision because they can come to our page and see our engagement on Instagram, see how many followers we have, see the comments, see you guys engaging with us. And that I know, um, you know, on top of the you know quality of the work goes a long way. So uh, with that being said, February 2021, uh, we will be at Agenda Show. The goal is to, you know, at least get some really rad retail stores uh, that, that we love to start carrying some of the stuff, man. Maybe you see the icon, maybe you see the mission next time uh, you're at Zoomies or if you guys are on the West Coast, like a Tilly's or something like that. Uh, that would be awesome, man. And, uh, you know, we will always keep this homegrown, man. The company's never going to be sold. It's always going to be us, you know, operating as a grassroots organization. But, you know, if we get picked up by one of these larger retailer brands, um, you know, that's just another channel for us to, to that we can reach more people. Uh, so, so we're really excited about that. Also, man, one of the coolest things about Agenda Show is that you have the opportunity to network with these other big brands to um, possibly release a collaboration piece. So let's say nothing happens on the retail buyer side. Uh, you know, we might be able to make some cool magic happen uh, with some of these other brands, maybe Starter, maybe Converse, maybe something like that. And you see, you know, you see that mission skull on on the side of uh, some Chuck Taylors, man. Who knows? Give me the that fucking, sneak. The, <laughs> give me that sneak, son. Uh, the possibilities are endless. We're super fucking stoked, really humbled, really honored um, to get an invite like that already. Um, so it's a done deal. We're signed up. It's going to happen. Um and basically, you know, with everything going on right now in 2020, we're just kind of, you know, anything we get right now in terms of trade shows or releasing anything uh, is great. It's extra. But from this point on, we're basically focusing on making that, um, you know, a big deal. So we're really excited. And I hope you guys can feel that excitement because, uh, you know, we want to share that with you because you are just so much a part of it as well. So thank you. Well said, my friend. Vegas, baby. Vegas. It's going to be sick, dude. I mean, nuts. Caesar's fucking palace. Caesar's? Walking in, dude. I mean, a shit ton, shit ton of like badass brands. And you, just, I mean, it's, it's big league shit, dude. It's big league. It's the Super Bowl. Real good. It's the Super Bowl. We're in training. Yeah. So, so fucking excited, y'all. All right. Well, there's the news, everybody. Now for our special guest. Okay. Now we've been trying to get this guy on the show for a while, but due to the pandemic, obviously it's been a, it's been kind of impossible. But now that things are looking up here in the great city of Nashville, and we are safely practicing our social distancing. He is sitting right next to us, six feet away. Uh, we're finally just uh, just so happy we can make this happen, man. So such a cool guy. What can I say? A brother from a different mother, for sure. Uh, more I got to know this guy, we realized we drive literally the same fucking car. Um, we are both afraid of wasps, and we grew up with the same role models and icons. Uh, but more than that, he is a powerhouse songwriter. And uh, working with him, I've definitely uh, have become a stronger writer. Uh, and like I mentioned in the intro, y'all, he's uh, experiencing right now his first top 40 single on the country music charts with Stephanie Quayle's What You Drinking About, y'all. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ryland Fisher. What's up, dude? What's up, man? Welcome, welcome, brother. It's great to have you here, man. Thanks so much for having me. I, I know it's been, we've been trying to do this for a minute. I'm glad we finally got here. Yeah, man. We got you here. And uh, dude, there, there's so much to go over. 
um, and this is this is going to be a great show. And uh, I, I, you know, I want to start by by taking this back a little bit. But uh, you know, your journey is fascinating, uh, and and it's unlike any of our other previous guests. Um, you know, I introduced you as a songwriter, uh, but in the beginnings, you know, you weren't seeking music as a profession. Uh, you were actually training to become a professional wrestler under the name. Ryland Fox. So I want to start right there because I love wrestling and I want to hear about this journey. And then we're going to get into you moving to Nashville, getting that pub deal and getting that song on the Billboard charts. But Ryland Fox, who the hell was that guy? I can't believe you're making me talk about this, man. This is honestly something that, you know, I've kind of hidden from my Nashville community of friends for the most part. Like some of my closest friends don't even know. Really? Is it because it's like straight up like, uh, like Mexican style, like like Mex, like uh, masks. No, no lucha, no lucha, luchador. Yeah, yeah. Man, okay. So if I can give a little bit of context here, yeah. You know, um, so I was pursuing music, but I was also primarily a filmmaker, right? So I was, I went to L.A. because I thought I was so convinced that L.A. was going to be the place where I did everything, and there was going to be a community, all these things that we know and love about Nashville, I thought was over there. And um, at least for me, I was mistaken, you know? So I kind of came back home. You know, I'm from Chicago originally, so I come back from L.A. with my tail between my legs, just like, what do I do now? Because all my eggs were in that basket, right? So I come back, and um, I just start applying for stuff as a filmmaker. So I... Along my Googling, I, I find that there are, there's this regional professional wrestling kind of sector going on, especially in the Midwest, and it's kind of regionally everywhere. And I start just sending my resume out, and I'm like thinking, like, I could do their, these guys' commercials, or I could, you know, have a crew film their show, and I could make some money that way instead of having this traditional thing, like a nine-to-five. So... Uh, two companies came back to me and they wanted to the, to meet kind of immediately. And I think in my email signature or something like that, I had a picture of myself and I was younger at the time. So I, because I was a musician, my, my headshot that I was using looked very rock and roll ish. Uh, Cause that was my background at the time. I'm not sure. Maybe they Googled something one way or the other. They kind of, one of these companies in particular was like, they come back and they're like, yeah, we want you to do the video stuff. But also, do you have any interest in as a performer? And I'm like, wow. I was like, man, you know, me, Steve, you and I have, have talked about this in, in detail, but you know, I was a huge fan when I was a kid, but I grew out of it, uh, somewhere in the, in the mid nineties, mid to late nineties. And I was like, and there was a time where that was like a dream of mine. I had some fantasy of being a professional wrestler working in that, in that business. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, I'm like, you know what, let's do it. Let's do it. And immediately the promoter is like coming up with these ideas and he's like, he throws like 10 names at me and we're kind of bouncing back and forth. We land on this Ryland fog. We took my, 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 my first name that I go by. And then instead of Fisher, you know, we just LA it up a little bit. Cause that was totally it's the so LA. Yeah. 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 And they knew it come back from LA. So they were just like, here's a perfect thing. I was wearing shades at night and the whole deal, you know? Ride the Fox, baby. Yeah. And love it. Yeah. So, you know, and 
and just like anything else, uh, you know, if you want, actually, I was, I wasn't, I didn't really have an intention to to wrestle full time. I was going to be more like a manager, like like if you remember, like Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart, yeah, guys like that. Yeah, the South, baby. Yeah, and so that was my primary area, but um, you know, to do that at the highest level, you needed to be trained. You couldn't just you know you need to be able to you know take the take the big spot like hit those big spots like the stuff where you know there's there's stuff out there that you know where i'm kind of bouncing around more than more than some of the guys you know that are that are in in the context of the match but uh but yeah so it it was that's how it was man i just sent some resume i was looking for video work and i immediately find myself in this like one in a million type of situation because that's a business where there's so it's very old school. It's kind of like songwriting here where it's, it's kind of closed, closed off. Yeah. And you have to, there's a lot of dues paying a lot. And it's, it's kind of, it can be really harsh. Yeah. And I just got lucky. This, this guy that was a little more progressive, a little more open-minded let me in. And then I had to prove myself from there, you know? Nice dude. So this was with WWE. So this was, um, Back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, 70s and 80s mostly, they had this uh, idea of territories. So now we kind of have like a version of that where you have independent companies um, all across the country. Right. And so I was working for, at any given time, maybe up to 15 or, or 20 different companies that ran on different days or of the month. And so we would do these little trips or would do like like a weekend thing or i do like a monday through thursday you know like i would kind of build that schedule try to get booked in a way that made sense from a driving standpoint or a flying standpoint or you know you know and i always i always you turned me on to the dark side of the ring which is one of my favorite shows Mm. it's it's for Mm -hmm. wrestling fans but what i've always loved about wrestling is the lifestyle is very interesting can you kind of walk us through what, what, you know, once you're in like the squared circle, what is that whole lifestyle like when you're working these Monday through Thursdays? I mean, is there, what's the training? Like, I mean, is it just a whole different fucking world? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from a, a cultural standpoint, to me, it was uh, because I was coming from the music business and show business in general and different areas of that. I kind of knew what that looked like. To me, it was, uh, it felt like a glove, you know, it was no different. It was, you know, all the, all the good things and all the not so good things that you get with the music business, um, you know, you get with the professional wrestling business too. So, uh, but at the same time, to me, it was, uh, I used to say that, you know, it, it, it looks kind of, some people, you know, think it's a little campy and some people think it it's easy, you know, it's pretty easy to, to have, to have a match that looks like some of these matches look that are so seamless. It's like, it's really like a dance, you know, it's like watching like two amazing dancers dance, you know? Um, so, and a lot of that's improv. So you have these, uh, you know, like a match is kind of built around these key moments, kind of like a movie. There's like a, you know, you have a three act structure in a movie, a wrestling match has these, these different plot points that you have to hit, but everything in between, a lot of times, um, you know, you're playing off the crowd. So, um, and there's different schools of thought there, but, but that's a very common one. So it's, 
that's where I think where a lot of the skill is, is, uh, it's kind of got like that, that improvisation factor, you know? So you're almost like a, like, you know, the two wrestlers in the ring, they already know what the end of the song sounds like, but in the yeah. ring, you're jazz musicians. Right. You're playing off of each other, feeding off each other's energy with the audience as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, so crazy. And, those, and some of those guys are like actually getting their ass kicked. Like that shit doesn't feel good. It's painful. And it's a special kind of cardio. You know, um, you think about like sports like basketball. That's another special kind of cardio. It's not like getting on a treadmill and running. Right. Right. So wrestling is like, so every time, so when you see a guy fall, it's called taking a bump. And each one of those, those bumps, um, are most people would say the, the equivalent of uh, getting whiplash. Right. And like a car accident. So if they're doing that 45 times and, you know, in the context of a 15 minute match, something along those lines, it's like, you know, uh, that's a kind of cardio that you can't really, uh, replicate other than just having those matches like that, day yeah. after day, you know, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I got to ask a question and, uh, chair shots. Yeah. They're real, aren't they? Yeah. There's ways to take the bump. Yeah. And but it's a real hit. I think over time, um, you know, like a lot of sports, you know, they people become more sensible, right? Right. And um so so now it's like yeah, they're they're absolutely real, but there's like there's safe places there's there's safe places to place the chair, you know, and there's safe ways to protect yourself. Yeah. And um hopefully both, you know, the guy throwing the thing is is uh has the same mindset as the as the guy taking it and you know that's a lot of trust dude. yeah it's so <laughs> much trust. well and that and that and that business is based completely on trust it's a it's a special kind of fraternity it's very fraternal wow very very much so yeah were you in the best shape of your life while you were doing this i mean what was your regime like um i was in pretty good shape for a while i was also a lot younger then and um so this is back in 2009 and i wrapped that part of my life up in 2014 i think and um i was in pretty good shape at the beginning but there's a lifestyle um again uh, a lot of there's you know quite a bit of partying and yep steroids well there's that and i didn't really partake in that stuff but um but yeah that's a big part of it too that's how a lot of guys can you know um help you know with the injuries you know, totally. um, cause there's, there's no insurance and if you want to get paid, you gotta, you gotta work, you know? So it, yeah, it's, it's kind of a crazy thing, but, uh, I was not in the best shape of my life. And it's kind of why when I got to my fifth year, I was ready, uh, to be done. It was a very emotional thing because it's like that time of my life, um, you know, people, you know, say what they want about it. But for me personally, like the people that I met during that time had a, uh, such a huge impact about, uh, on my life as far as what happened after that, you know, uh, and still to, uh, still do to this day. Like some of those guys, they did go on to, you know, organizations like WWE and, um, and some of those guys are, are still working that circuit and they, you know, it's, uh, you know, a, a lot of guys with a lot of really high standards for themselves. And they, when I came back from LA, I was personally, I wasn't in the best place. And they reminded me of where the bar is, you know, and, and if you want to be successful in a creative environment and, uh, 
So, you know, I think, uh, I think that's a good example of, you know, you always hear, it's, it's almost become a cliche, but, um, I think it's such an important one. Uh, you gotta, I think picking your friends is kind of like an art form. You have to pick mm. the right people, uh, and know how to kind of distance yourself from the wrong people. And, uh, it was really great during that time to have so, such amazing people around me. Yeah. Nice dude. That's awesome. Yeah. So did you, did you never step in the ring then you were, you were always other people's manager or so, you did step in the ring? Yeah. I had, I had, uh, I had a bunch of matches. Uh, but yeah, again, it wasn't my primary thing. Sometimes I'd be managing like four matches a night. So, so I'm trying to remember all this stuff. You're throwing back a few drinks at the same time. So trying to keep it together. So yeah. for me, it was like, a, uh, it was a physical game, but it was also a, a pretty big mental game. And I would always get worked up. It was so stressful for me. It was because I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted, yeah. I wanted it to be, it's so, I think the hardest thing about it, um, and I feel like we all did a good job uh, in this area, but making it look fluid. Mm. Like, with n- none of those stutter steps, you know, or you could tell for half a second that it's fake. You know what I mean? That is yeah. predetermined. Like that, that fluidity. Yeah, I always wanted to, you know, make sure I was there at the right place at the right time. And I think it just about every time I was. Wow. That's amazing, dude. I honestly, I was, I was never a big fan just because I didn't get it. But now like hearing about it and like, even just off the mic, like hearing Steve, uh, talk about it too. I like have a whole new respect for it because I never thought of it in terms of like, it's a dance, man. Like you don't think about how much effort it takes to, for you to even sit back and be like, Oh, that looks like bullshit. Like that took a lot of work to make you think that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Let me ask you this, you know, when, you know, cause it is a dance and, and when you're in, when, or if you're managing somebody and you see, you know, someone in the ring and there is that kind of flub where it doesn't look Mm -hmm. so fluid. When you're a musician and you're playing in a band, Kevin and I have had this where like, you know, all of a sudden someone doesn't hit the right note or something. And then the whole Mm -hmm. band's like, fuck. But the audience really never catches it, I don't think. Is it the same thing in wrestling? Like, do do you think that they catch it all the time? As long as you don't do that, right? As long as nobody is like, fuck, you know, like written all over their face and and stuff like that. And let it ruin the rest of your performance. Yeah. Yeah. But it, what's nice in that, from that standpoint, is if you have somebody like me around, trust me, I'll figure out a way to, you know, do the squirrel thing. You know, uh, I'll make them react and forget that any of that ever happened. You know, and, yeah, and uh, somehow make it look justifiable, like that was supposed to happen somehow. You know, yeah, yeah. Dude, I'd love for you to touch back on the standards thing, man, because I think that's that's yeah. a huge thing, dude. Um, especially because, like, you know, a creative path of any kind is definitely not easy, as we all know, right? There's no, you can't, I mean, you can go to college for it, but, like, actually achieving it in the real world is much different than any schooling you could take for it. Um, and so those standards do have to be higher, man. It's not like there's this well-worn path laid out for you um, if you want to be a, like, like there is if you want to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, you do have to uh, be your own critic, be your own boss, constantly raise that bar. Um, And dude, uh, just fight that nagging self doubt that really never goes away, man. And so I think there's a lot there in what you were saying um, uh, about the standards. And if I had to guess, I would say it, it touches along kind of what I was just saying right there. Is that, yeah, Yeah, it's a, You know, kind of one of my main things is I try to be in in the smartest room that I can be in. And if I have my choice, 
I'd like to be the dumbest person in that room. And because what's going to happen is they're going to bring me up, you know, and that's proven itself over and over and over again in my life. And it's for other people that, um, you know, I have everybody else to thank for anything that I have. And um, those guys were uh, were a big part of that. Um, Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, Did I answer that? Yeah, absolutely, man. I I have a follow-up question to that though mm-hmm. too because I agree with that as well. But what if you're starting out and you're kind of getting big leagued by these yeah. other people, right? Like you can't get in the room with other people that are that are at that level that mm-hmm. you're trying to get at. What's like the? I mean, and there may not be a straightforward answer yeah. there, but like, what do you do in that situation, man? Do you consult books and until like uh, until you do find a way to get into an actual room with physical people that can bring you up or like. What's your uh, what's your kind of take on that? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a mindset thing. It's like, okay, I think a lot of people would uh, relate to what you're talking about here in Nashville, right? From yeah. a songwriting standpoint, you know, a lot of people are trying to write up, you know. But I think um, standards, uh, that's a mindset thing. And I think, yeah, it's we have all the resourcefulness that, that we need in us. And if we choose to open our eyes to all that resourcefulness, all the stuff around that, uh, that we have access to. Um, I think when you come up with your own community, you know, like, it, like in my case, it's, it's like, I just tr- tried to surround myself. These guys didn't have WWE contracts at the time. We were all in the same role, but, um, you know, I tried to, again, attach myself to people who had extremely high standards. And I, I, I still do this today. You know, all the people in my life, um, uh, from a songwriting standpoint, Steve included, um, you know, I, I try to think about that and manage that on a, on a regular basis. It's like you, cause then you're able, able to learn from each other. Y'all going to have different skill sets, you know, but I think it's, it's a mindset thing and it's something you always have to have in the forefront. Uh, I wouldn't even say in the back of your mind, but in the front of it, um, you know, you know, in every way, you know, just, uh, what can we do to, uh, be better than we were yesterday? Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely, man. And would you guys kind of sit around like analyzing it the same way, like a professional sports team would like, Hey, I could have done this move better. You could have been more fluid there. Like, absolutely. It's yeah. like, you know, we, we go over the match about three times in, in great detail and it's, and it's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so you're locking all that stuff in your brain and then, uh, you have that match and, right before you go through that curtain, everybody's supporting each other. It's a very positive thing. You go do the thing, you do it the best you can, no matter what the crowd's going to do. Sometimes you're in a kind of in a slot where the crowd's really tired or they're bored. Um, depending on what just happened, maybe something awesome happened and they're just exhausted Yeah. or it's been like three awful matches back to back and they're just tired, you know? Um, but either way, uh, you know, you do the best with what you got, but yeah, when you come back, it's, Everybody is like, oh, we could have done this or, or that was, that was amazing. You know, you know, it's, it's that analytical thing comes out and everybody, you know, you see how much everybody cares about what it is that they're doing. Yeah. You know, for sure, man. Yeah. So like if someone's down and someone's having a bad day, like to adjust their mindset, maybe pull them out of like a doubting state or like a, uh, maybe a possibly like a depressive state. Yeah. What, um, what type of language are you hearing at that time going around, man? How are people building people up like emotionally or like compliment complimenting each other? Like, is that, 
or even like giving them some tough love, man. Like giving them the truth that like no one else wants to hear. What of you yeah. know? I'd love to hear how that was. Again, it, it's kind of it's kind of fraternal, so you don't get a lot of that really. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's boys club. It's a boys club, and and there's a you know there's quite a bit of shit talking too, and for and sure, you know there's that can there's be clicks though too. That's yeah. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and well, and there's clicks too, and I think it is construct. I think you know, like I was a part of a clique, and there was an, there was this other clique. These, and I I remember uh, you know the there's a competitive thing that happens there. Like you like those guys, but you got your thing. You guys are trying to stay on top, or um, if they're on top, you're trying to take what they what they got. You know, yeah. take their spot, and because um, you sell more T-shirts that way, you know, you sell more merchandise, you get higher paydays that way. Whoever's on, you know, yeah at the you know in that in that prime spot you know and c- competition is good you know yeah. it makes you hungry especially when you're you know you're when you're looking you, like you said you're looking over there there's these clicks and they might be selling more t-shirts than them like that's right. gotta make you be like no motherfucker i could do that too right right like that should right, right? it kind of lights a fire a little bit mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah competition is essential man whether it be with yourself or, or with other people dude that just breeds like yeah that's why it's crazy man like well, I don't want to get us too far off course, but it seems like as a society, we're getting away from that competitiveness and it's kind of concerning, but, yeah. uh, yeah. And, and well, and I think yeah, to your point, it's like, we kind of have, again, I, I draw a lot of parallels to what that was for me and, and what this place is, uh, for so many people. But I always, uh, you know, tell people like, I feel like here in Nashville, we're in like the Super Bowl of, uh, of songwriting. I don't, I don't believe that any city in the, in the world like, can compete what we do from a songwriting standpoint. So it, again um you know we're surrounded by extremely talented people and that's only going to make us better if, if if i was sitting home in chicago right now um trust me it, it's you know my my ability to uh increase my my potential and surpass my potential and get to those new heights you know it would be a lot that trajectory would be a lot slower for, for sure yeah, yeah dude yeah yeah that's awesome. Well, let's get into that, man. So let's get out of wrestling. So when we, we had enough of that and we wanted to change that in 2014 mm-hmm. and we wanted to go to Music City, mm-hmm. Nashville, what what was Nashville? Why why here? Yeah, I, I really had no idea, man. Um, I did have one buddy here, a good friend of mine, um, Danny Falo. He was living here for uh, a few years at that point. I was in the middle of a road trip. So I've been obsessed with the Southeast for a long time. Nashville was really just a pit stop. And so I built this road trip, this like 12 day road trip. I was going to use like all my vacation time to uh, travel like the perimeter of the Southeast. And my last stop before heading back to Chicago was Nashville. And the only reason I put it on there was because my mom was like, you know, I was, I was, I was starting to move back. I've always gone in and out of music up until this, up until that point, you know, I was kind of in and out, in and out. And at this point I was coming back in and I was starting to write more again. And I was starting to, um, not be as much into doing the cover thing, which I was doing at the time. And anyway, we get back to Nash. Uh, I, I get to, uh, towards the end of this trip, make it to Nashville, stay at that comfort inn down on Demumbrian. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Dude, that Dude, was our first place. That was it? our first place. It's so many Same people's first, first spot. It is. Yeah. It's too easy. Yeah. Well, A, it was affordable. 
and be, I, I, I don't know about any not when though. I not when I showed up. It was still oh, really that. Oh yeah, by, Bates two, Motel by 2014, like, 15, yeah. It's like 300 bucks a night for a Bates Motel, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, that's what it kind of, I think people caught on, people caught on. Mm-hmm. And you're right there on Demumbrian, mm-hmm. across from all, you know, Tin Roof is still a, a legendary place to play. Yeah. Everyone knows it when you come to Nashville, it's one of those places to play. And yeah. that's fucking, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and my buddy Danny was actually playing across the street, uh, right next to Tin Roof at the at Doghouse. Yep. And... uh he plays in the the Spasmatics. He plays bass for the like the nerd band. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice, dude. Yeah. yeah. They're, oh, they're great. They're unbelievable. Um, anyway, he comes out during his break, and we're just catching up for like twenty minutes. And somewhere in that twenty minutes, you know, we were obviously talking. About, I was like, "So what's up with this Nashville thing? I don't know anything about it. You know, tell me about it." And he, at some point in the conversation, he drops something about the NSAI and all I knew is all I remembered from the conversation very fast conversation he said NSAI at some point we were talking about songwriting we were talking about um you know some like getting involved in the scene and uh all I remember is after that conversation I ran back to that hotel I was with a girlfriend of mine at the time I was like we gotta go we gotta go back to the hotel I gotta see what this thing's about so I go back to the hotel and I look up the NSAI and I'm like, oh, this sounds great. You know, it's uh, a way to stay, because I was still living in Chicago at the time. It's a way to stay connected. And uh, man, I, I signed up for that and then kind of went down that road. I just immersed as much as, I, you know. And for you the, uh, everyone listening too, because you're, you're probably the third guest we've had that has mentioned NSAI. And for mm-hmm. those of you who don't know it, um, it's National, uh, or I'm sorry, Nashville Songwriting Association International, which is great for any new songwriter, up and coming songwriters, uh, even people who are still really heavy into the game. It's a great organization and it's not only just here in Nashville. It's, uh, I think it's, it's worldwide, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they do a lot, uh, you know, for the sake of songwriters, uh, you know, they spend a lot of time in DC, uh, you know, fighting Yep. To raise those rates and stuff, especially as we, we get more into streaming and, and everything there, you know. Yeah. Who's amazing. the guy that's uh, um, not Bert, but who's the Bart? Bart, Bart. Herbison. Yeah. He's yeah. Been, oh, such an advocate, man. Mm-hmm. That guy is just a freedom fighter. Yeah. Working and, hard for the songwriters. For absolutely. Sure. And Lee Thomas Miller. You Lee know? Thomas Miller. Yep. Oh, my God. You know, he's spent so much so much time you know he's a songwriter he's good here's bomb your boundaries for you kevin and i were sitting outside of the jw hotel i don't know what we were doing that one night but i go over there is lee thomas miller and uh uh bob Mm DePiero. too i mean when you when you're in nashville and you're a songwriter those are legends those are gods and uh kevin's like go over and talk to him i was like nah i got nothing to say i got nothing to say he's like do it bro you'll never get another chance like this so i went up to him i went up to lee thomas miller and bob DePiero, and they were both fighting Mm-hmm. when streaming was a big thing and I just thanked him and uh, I saw Lee Thomas Miller at a uh, CMA after party and he remembered when I did that That's and so he was cool. really cool with to me and my wife and I mean just you know it's a relationship based town we've talked about that before sometimes bombing those boundaries going up to people even if you're uncomfortable it means the world and it no can shit, make lasting dude. relationships yeah. I didn't I didn't know the other half of that that you saw him again yeah. and you remember that dude that's sick 
Yeah, that's dude. fucking cool. rad, man. Yo, he's such a cool dude, and yeah. he just got off of doing that. I don't know if uh, Sarah Silverman had a show when she came down to Nashville, dude. That Did was you? so yes. funny. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, you know what She's he said. Hilarious. Which I don't. I mean, I'll just say it, what he said. But I was like, oh, I, I love that. I thought that was hilarious. He goes, yeah, I don't really like it. I don't really like her. He didn't. He didn't wow. think she was funny at all. Wow. And uh, I mean, they wrote us. I think she wrote a song about like boners or something. He was just like, "Nah, I don't yeah. really care for her humor." There was like a pubic hair. Song. Yeah, it was like a pubic it hair. Was or yeah. I, was I thought it was funny. Yeah, well, and, and it looks like her humor though, dude. That's her wheelhouse, man. Like, right? You can't right. expect her to get all totally. like deep on you. And, and you know, Lee would have fooled me. I thought because he was like his responses were all like super dry. Like I thought he was in on it. Yeah, I I, I don't think he was. I think he was being really honest. That's funny. I think he was, and that's what actually made it funnier yeah you know what i mean it was hilarious i was dying but the cool thing you know i remember she did do that song at the bluebird and they did write one song that was, <laughs> it was like legitimate right? and, and and it was like dude you just wrote with lee thomas miller like right. you're sarah silverman and it actually sounded fucking good yeah i was like oh damn yeah. it was emotional yeah but yeah so the just news to everybody you know if, if you have icons or role models uh anybody that inspires you you know if you have have an opportunity to go up to them and just thank them you know, just for, yeah. for being who they are. It, it goes a long way. Right. It really does. Especially when you get to live here. It's like, man, uh, you know, you, you, you know, there's a, there's a element of osmosis going on there, you know, like. Totally. I, um, I want to ask you this too, because I just got a, a, a Facebook message from my old coach, my old football coach. I played football for one year, guys. It was in eighth grade. I weighed 110 pounds. Okay. <laughs> Everyone else in eighth grade weighed 140 pounds. Right. The guy taught me this one thing. It was called the diamond cutter, which is a wrestling term. Oh, God. But when yeah. you catch a spiral ball, you do the diamond cutter. I'll Boom. never forget that. And I caught more balls that season just because I learned the diamond cutter. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he reaches out to me and he goes, well, he, he was a health uh, uh, teacher and now he is a college uh, advisor. And there's a kid who's interested in songwriting. And, mm-hmm. and he's made a couple videos on campus and, you know, it's getting pretty popular. And he goes... Hey man, you know, I know you're doing your thing down in Nashville. Just curious to like, I want to give this kid some advice. Like what, what could I tell him? Um, and I've started to write this long fucking thing, but I'd really mm-hmm. love to get your opinion, you know, cause you just said, you know, once you're here in Nashville, you have those opportunities to, to talk to your, your idols and role models and people mm-hmm. that, you know, help you kick ass. So yeah. what kind of advice would you give that kid? You know, uh, there's a few things that, you know, come to the forefront for me and i think one of them is like you know success leaving clues for the you know all of us that haven't totally figured it out yet and uh so i think mentors are um not just important but uh, i think vital um i think it takes a lot longer to get to where you're trying to go without them and especially in a place like this there's so many people that uh want to help you know um and I have a lot of those people in my life uh, that are a part of my thing that I will never forget those people, you know, in multiple aspects of the business. So I think um, mentors, uh, surrounding yourself with uh, as many of those people as you can. I, th- I mean, I think you got to live in a music center. I mean. Yeah, move here first. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah. you, you, you do have to move in a, a, a hub. But, I, you know, I will say that there was a lot that I was able to get done without, without living here. So that was a really cool way to make sure that I wanted to be here. Um, I came here about 25 times before I moved here and I drove every time. So it was, 
uh, you know, I made it hurt, right? Yeah. Like it was eight hours each way. And, uh, you know, financially it cost a bunch of money to do it every, you know, every month like I was doing. And, uh, I just hated leaving, you know? And so it was a good way to find out, uh, you know, whether I, I needed to be here or not, but you can, in, in this age that we live in, you know, I used to come down here, you know, and whoever I was able to get a right with, if it went well, you know, it usually did. Um, I was able to write with a lot of those people via Skype, you know. So we live in a an age where um, you can you can kind of not not take your time with it, but uh, do it the right way. Yeah, no, so that's awesome. Kind of. Yeah, so maybe suggest to them to join NSAI and then make a couple trips down here, man. Like yep. hang out, show them, introduce them to a few people, see if he can get some Skype sessions, mm-hmm. see what's up, and then. Um, let him evaluate if, if he thinks he's he's ready to make the move or not, or if he's got like some work to do and see what's yeah. up, man. My publishers actually own uh, an organization as well that I would, uh, you know, I, I would say is one of the most. Uh, yeah, tell everybody about this, man. Oh my god, it's you know, um, there's a, it's it's similar to NSAI in some respects, but I think it takes it a few steps further. Um, it's called Songtown, you know. And it's basically like social networking for songwriters. So it's like this online community of people from all over the world, songwriters from all over the world with different goals, you know. Yeah. Some of them, they want a, a pub deal, but some of them, you know, just want to do their own thing at at the house. So, you know, not even playing gigs. So you have everything in between too, wow. you know, with, and when you're talking worldwide, you know, every every skill level, every genre that you could think of. And but these guys, uh, you know, w- with proven track records and amazing teachers, they have a, you know, they have that skill set. And, you know, not everybody can teach. And these guys sure can. And, you know, there's like a, a video library that, you know, I've, I've told them and I've, I've told so many, so many people, uh, so many friends of mine that were looking for kind of assistance in, in the songwriting area. I'm like, if a songwriter was to watch all of this content and just like, take it in, soak it in, take some notes. It would be really difficult to not be great. Nice. And that's how strongly I feel about it. Um, yeah. It's like, they're giving you all the stuff. And that's the thing about mentors. I think one of the, the, the whole point is that they've made all the mistakes, right? And now you don't, so that you don't have to. And if you think about it, they had mentors too. So you're, you're all, as the generations, you know, go on, you're inheriting all the good shit and you're avoiding yeah. so much bad shit. Yeah. And it blows my mind that, you know, what do they say? We have like 55, 50, 60,000 songwriters here in Nashville. <laughs> and so many of Worse them. Worse than realtors. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to talk shit, but I think a lot of people, could be so so many could be so great yeah if um you know that they, they they had a some kind of guide you uh-huh. know what i mean absolutely yeah, yeah. no you're right yeah. man you get that like dynasty of yeah. knowledge yeah. and wisdom like and why like, wouldn't you take that right because they always say smart people learn from their mistakes smarter people learn from others <laughs> yes, yes yes it's useful information and, and just to plug that again that's that's song town mm-hmm. um and we our past guest mike august uh and and a good friend of ours jamie dryberg i think yeah. they've uh 
they reviewed, work with them. yeah, they work with them or reviewed submissions, and they both just have nothing but love to say about that company. I think it's just yeah. great for for up and coming songwriters. So if you are an up and coming songwriter, um, looking to kind of further your career and and just gain some of that knowledge, Songtown is it Songtown.com? Songtown.com. Songtown.com, and that's Clay Mills, a company run by Clay Mills and Marty Dodson. That's right. Well, let's go there. Yeah, that would, yeah, that'd be rad. Like, well, we could probably talk about this off mic. That'd be rad if they wanted to like partner with us, do mm-hmm. like some affiliate kind of mm-hmm. thing, do yeah. like a discount code. That'd or be stuff. cool. Yeah, I don't know, man, but uh, you know, I think they do stuff like that too. That'd be rad, dude. Yeah. We'd love to push that because yeah, we've been trying to, to figure talk out to like, Uncle Marty. Yeah. Yeah, because we've been trying to figure out like who's a good company to partner with because we don't want to just run ads for any bullshit, but like right. something like that would be really fucking cool, man. Mm-hmm. That's like seems like it would fit well, but mm-hmm. yeah. not the sidetrack. Just no, totally, to get it's that a great idea. Yeah. Um. So speaking of Marty, Uncle Marty, yeah, and Clay. Now these guys own Vibe City Music. They started Vibe City Music, which is a publishing company that yeah. you write for. So let's get into that. How you come to Nashville? Mm-hmm. How does Vibe City happen for you? Oh, man. Um, I was very blessed to um, have some opportunities to meet uh, some amazing people um, that have been here for a long time. And, uh, you know, as eventually, uh, you know, it got to the point where um, a couple of those people thought, you know, that they can help out when it came to getting a pub deal, I actually didn't want a pub deal. I thought I had, I had this idea that, um, I don't think it was completely delusional, but I think I was trying to take on more than, more than I should at the time. Um, cause I only had so much time, you know, I, I still got, you know, I had a day job and I still do. And I was writing at night and I was trying to plug my own stuff. Starting from zero relationships, I started to build out those relationships and things were going well and it was really exciting. But, um, I remember meeting with uh, another mentor uh, named Clay Myers, um, amazing veteran uh, song plugger uh, and publisher uh, here in town. And I met him through Clay and Marty through Songtown uh, a couple years ago, and um, or a couple years before, kind of towards the beginning of of my my uh, my Nashville journey. And I remember Clay saying, "Like, man." you just need to go get a publishing deal. Like you're trying to avoid it, but I think you should go get one. And I'm like, can I ask you why, yeah. why were you trying to avoid a publishing deal? Like, ultimately? Oh yeah. It, well, I had, I had this idea. I was like, well, if I can keep all my publishing, um, you know, when something does happen, I'm going to be able to leave my job much quicker versus you're going to get that money. Yeah. Versus yeah. taking, you ain't gotta, on, you ain't gotta separate that money for no one. Exactly. Yep. And, um, you know, not taking on any debt, through you know taking like a draw from a traditional you know publishing right deal totally and he's like you know i was kind of expressing that and he's like well there's other ways to do that to you know deal with it you don't have to take it. you can keep your day job you know but but um what if we try to you know what if we try to help help you get a publishing deal and you know you can always do a co-pub thing and you know that that would i remember him saying just that is like a no-brainer to so many because uh, you know the liability is so low. Before you continue, can you just kind of explain um, to the to our listeners what a co-pub is? Let's do it this way: literally take twenty-five percent of your share of the song and give it away. Okay, so I don't own it anymore. Right. Okay. All right. So, 
So Clay is, let's get back on track here. So, so Clay is like, well, what about a co-pub? So now we, we just explained what a co-pub was. What are, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, he kind of threw it out. I, I remember he mentioned it, and I remember, um, sure, I would love a sip. So we're doing a little sip of, uh, this is brought to you by um, 1792 Small Batch Kentucky Bourbon. Uh, it, dude, it is straight up, it is crisp and a hit, man. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy this. Thank you, Uncle Rai for bringing this mm-hmm. to uh, to the table, man. We really appreciate it. I love it. Yeah, so Clay had mentioned it, and I also, in the back of my mind, um, there's an amazing writer, an artist here in uh, here in Nashville named Lance Carpenter, and I remember when I went to this NSAI seminar in the very beginning, like the first one I went to, he kind of mentioned, like, he's like, I kept my day job, and when I got a pub deal, I took a co-pub deal, and uh, financially, it it uh, it really worked out in his favor. And that always stuck with me because I didn't really have any intention to give away my, uh, get rid of my day job. And, you know, it's something I enjoy. So, uh, I was like, okay, the wheels were turning. Now I was kind of convinced. I was like kind of looking in this other direction that I wasn't looking before. And something kind of happens when you open your eyes to, um, an area that you were kind of closed off to. Right it's kind of cool because all these doors start magically opening and you're like, why was it so hard before? And it's like, well, I was closed off to all that, you know? So as soon as I open my eyes to that stuff, that, that whole, that option in general, you know, Clay did a lot to, you know, he set up a ton of meetings for, for me. And so did Marty. Uh, Marty and Clay did, did a lot of that too. And uh, Clay Mills. Yeah. So, so Marty Clay and yep. then Clay. So you had some champions yes. that kind of had your back. Yes. Yeah. And and you know also uh, people like I remember Caroline Mobley, she did a lot to advocate for me as well. And um, a, another person that uh, done so much. You know Steve Block. So many people um, that uh, were so giving uh, during that time. But anyway, uh, yeah. So start taking all these meetings and. Uh, Eventually, uh, we ended up doing something we definitely didn't think was going to happen, and that was Marty, uh, Marty Dotson and Clay Mills starting uh, a company from scratch. And that company is Vibe City. Vibe mm-hmm. City, bitch. Which Kevin Vibe, and I Vibe love. City, bitch. Kevin and I love that because of the 6-1 vibe. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they start this company, and they're... they're they, are you the first sign? Like, are they just like, yeah? What, how does that go about? So, um, all this, you know, meanwhile, um, a buddy of mine, Joey Ebach, we were, we were taking a lot of these meetings together. And we, because we were writing a lot of songs together at the time. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with Marty after I had the conversation with Clay Myers that turned every, turned that corner for me. I met with Marty like a week later and I kind of told him what happened. And he, so he started kind of providing the same kind of assistance. And I remember him saying in the middle of the conversation, he's like, man, if I wish we were kind of, you know, set up, me and Clay were kind of set up to, to do that kind of thing. Cause we'd like to, you know, based on what you're looking for, what you and Joey are looking for, uh, we'd love to just, you know, set up a company. And, and then we kind of, 
moved on with the conversation. And he, Marty set me up at his, uh, you know, with a meeting at, at the company that he writes for. And uh, we took quite a few meetings over there. That's a SNG? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite a, quite a few. And uh, amazing people over there as well. And I remember, you know, me and Joe were kind of like pining over each one of these companies and kind of talking about, um, you know, everybody was so so gracious to, to have us. But there were things that maybe they didn't understand that 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 where we were coming from in some aspects, and and then there was some great parts about you know those conversations as well, but nothing was really like checking all the boxes. And I remember uh, Marty and Clay sent an email like towards the end of these meetings, and he was kind of like, you know, the thing we were talking about, like what if we what if we set up this company, and what if we outsourced our song plugging to the the song pluggers that you're already working with they already know your catalog they're already kind of sold you know that's how i'm looking at it um they're already kind of sold on what it is that joey and i were doing at the time and uh it would have been so seamless and marty under totally understood that i didn't want to give up my day job and that i was going to write at night predominantly at the time and uh where a lot of other publishers they couldn't wrap their head around that they're like what do you mean how, how am i supposed to get you with so-and-so at 11 a.m. I'm like, well, honestly, if that's what, what this is about, you're not really interested in what I'm doing, you know? And right, because in, in Nashville, the writing starts at 11. Right. Always. Right. It's never at, at night. Right. But they they kind of they went past that with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Joey and I, uh, you know, at least at the time, like, we thought there was a vibe at night. Like, it was a lot of fun to write at night. You get a different kind of thing that you might get at 11 a.m. And maybe I was just telling myself that, you know, because I couldn't write at 11 a.m. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's do a timeout real quick. And I want to ask Mr. Mackerel here, a, a very creative guy, great writer. Nighttime, though. I think you've, you've written a lot of your stuff at night. I, I, do, you, do you feel like the night uh, breeds some good creativity whispers? Yeah, man, it's kind of twofold. So I'll, like, I'll get most of my like a larger frame ideas in the morning, like on a walk or like mm-hmm. just like sipping some coffee, but to really put it together, it really comes together for me at night. Like I'll, I'll use that morning time to kind of like get the, the structural stuff, you know, the foundation, the scaffolding, if you will. Uh, but then I'll have the rest of the day to kind of mull it over and then I can just shoot it out really easily at night. Mm-hmm. So. And I, I, I ask you that because I read you at night. Like every time I read something from you, it's, it's the stars are out. Right. The moon is out. Like I get that kind of just nighttime feel. And, I, and I've heard that uh, there's a lot of people that just can't uh, even pick up the guitar. Like if they're going to fiddle right. and like work at things, it's always at night. So there yeah. is something to that. I definitely agree. Yeah, I think there is too. I mean, now, I mean, even then, you know, I learned something from, you know, an important aspect of writing, uh, this kind of overarching thing from Jeffrey Steele, you know, just this idea of thinking like a writer, where you start, you're just a writer 24-7. It's a lifestyle. It's yeah. not a skill set. It's not something you do. It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. You know, it's 24-7. And so even though I'll take a co-write kind of towards towards the, the evening time uh, in many cases, um, most of my ideas are coming in the morning, actually, you know, or mm-hmm. just somewhere throughout the day, lunchtime or whatever. Totally, yeah. And are you kind yeah. of just like jotting those down as you go? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I have this, yeah. this like I use OneNote, uh, Microsoft OneNote, 
especially on the phone, it's really great. It's like where you can have, especially with, you know, we're kind of hook based here in Nashville. Yeah. That's at least the way I like to write. And so I, you can have just a list of thousands of titles and I always kind of have the, the good ones like towards the bottom and, but you can drill in to, to each of those titles and like to look at your concept or write your lyric inside of it. So, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I had a question that's coming to me. I don't want to, I don't want to trump you over though. If you, uh, okay. Um, so we were saying off, off the mic that like, mm-hmm. like you're into Tony Robbins. I'm, I'm huge yeah. in it too, man. I've, you know, I've read, I've read Awaken the Giant Within multiple yeah. times, but the first time I read it was back like 2008, 2009, right at the end of, uh, coming out of college. But, you know, one of the biggest things in that book is like people are motivated by like either p- pain or pleasure. Yeah. And I think that yeah. can af- apply to creators as well, man. So I just wanted to ask you, as you were talking about that, the, this question popped in my head. I was like, do do you create or write from pain or pleasure? Oh, man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pain creator 1000%. So if that helps spark any ideas. That's really interesting. I never thought, because I know what you're talking about. Like I've seen Tony multiple times and that's always like kind of a centerpiece of of the seminars and yeah as well as the books and uh i mean i write even when if i'm sad i'm writing out of pleasure you know um and i write a lot of sad songs but well, they're getting well me done. through hold on well done i love that i love that yeah i i, I think it's I think I know what you're getting at. And it's like, there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of windows, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, there. so, uh, so maybe just to, to further add on to that. So Tony's definition of it is people are, are usually motivated to avoid pain and like do things that are pleasurable. to right. them. So his whole motivation thing is like turn things that are mundane and painful into something that you can link pleasure to and, mm-hmm. and therefore you'll be more productive. Mm-hmm. But I think from a creative standpoint, you can you can be a pleasure creator and write like happy fiction kind of stuff if you're like a novel writer or, you know, some of the happier country songs that are out there. Or, you know, if, if you're coming, if you're motivated by pain to create, then you're going to have a different type of art. If you're, if you're inspired by pleasure to create, then you're going to have a different type of art. Mm-hmm. Both of them are great, but they're different sides of the thing. So. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, when I'm in there, like Steve, you and I, I remember one time I was bawling my eyes out. We were, the first song we actually wrote together. And so I'm just always trying to move myself and my co-writers and you know we're all trying to do that to, i think to each other uh if we're there for the right reasons and um so even if it's like if it becomes sad i still I, I think for me it's always out of pleasure but i know what you're talking about with the with the tony thing it's like and and tony even i think a great uh point that tony makes is pain you'll do more um he he, he how does he phrase it like pain is more of a driver than pleasure is yes you know like you'll do more to avoid pain than you will to gain pleasure yes so if I, if we look at it from so that's what i mean there's so many like angles to look at this thing if you look at it from if you look at it from that standpoint and we recognize that pain is the bigger driver um there must be something inside of all of us that um is so painful to not uh write songs right like, yeah. like, cause you feel like, cause for me, all I ever wanted to do was be the soundtrack to, you know, other people's lives. You know, this stuff is, is, it starts 
with us, right? Yeah. But uh, it end, it's ultimately for other people, and I think that's how we connect, especially a lot of us are introverts, you know? And uh, you take away the ability to connect, like, oh, man, what's the point? Yeah, totally, dude. You know? What's your take on that, man? Well, I, love, uh, I love your reaction to it. Uh, well, I, I love it. Uh, two things. Number one, the first time I ever wrote with this man, and he was he was absolutely right. You know, I met I met you like twice. One real quick brief at Demolition mm-hmm. Music, and then one at uh, we we had a conversation to exit in. You comes to my house. We go in the studio. We write a song. By I don't know hour two, you were crying. Yeah, and. That let me know just right off the bat that we were doing our job. Mm-hmm. We were doing our job. We Absolutely. were both very emotional. Right. We, we were feeling that connection. So yeah, connection is fucking key. It's mm-hmm. number one. Here's where I'm at with that. Um, I, I I think I tend to write from a uh, a place of pain. I, I I kind of seem to enjoy it. And here's why. I, I'm working. So I'm working on the CP. Mm-hmm. And man, I'll tell you right now, man. I'm like, I'm the happiest motherfucker right now. Like, I love my life. I, I, I got, got a great business with one of my best friends. Um, just, you know, everything seems to be, my, my wife kicks ass. Like, just mm-hmm. life's going good. It, it's tough. It's been tough to sit and write because I'm like, I'm so fucking happy all the time. Right. Now, here's an example. Her and I met, like, you know, getting like a little spat or something and, you know, over something stupid that easily fixable. But I will go in when I, when I come from a place of a little bit of like vulnerability, I'm a little like, Something's uneasy, and I go from a little place of that pain. Man, I can write. It just come. It just pours out. Now I can do the fictional thing where it's like, yeah, I'm happy, and I could probably write the sad song, but it's not gonna be as good as where it came from that kind of deep, vulnerable place. And and I can even write happy being sad. But I think pain is. It it always has been. I think for me, I used to live with this guy for a long time, and you know there were things when it was wasn't looking up for me, and I'll sit there pen out fucking songs and just be like, yeah, this is good. And I I think that's the type of writer I am. And when you were saying that, it did it spark with me. Like I guess that's that's kind of my my method. Yeah, yes. you know. And there's no right or wrong. No, it's no. just however you do it. Exactly. But um, yeah, it's that painful place, man. It's an interesting realm. But you, you touched on, a, is, yeah. I think, a, a really big thing. I think, because you're right, there is, no, there is no one way. There is no right way. But I think the common thread between probably all of our ways is probably the fact, because, so I might have my, my list, right, of, of what I'm going to write yeah. eventually. And my favorite stuff is something that they're attached to some emotion that I really actually felt in real life and i'm not going to write the autobiography of that i'm going to try not to actually i'm going to try to write it in a way that people are going to be able to connect with it aside from me yeah but whether you write it in that moment where you're feeling that pain like you're talking about or it's just something that you're gonna go back to you're gonna tap in you know mm-hmm. it's something that you feel you know it's something that you you uh in your bones you can you can you can feel that and uh, even if it's somebody else's, like that, that going back to art, that's the first song we wrote. The reason I got so emotional, it was your title. It was your idea. We massaged the idea into, into what it, what it is that we decided to do that day, but it ended up being very close to home for me. And yeah. with something I had gone through like just a few months earlier. Um, and 
because because I act, it was something that I actually felt in real life. You know, that's to me that's the that's the whole deal. That's the circuit, man. And let me that's ask awesome, you: so we're, we're yeah. sitting, we have we have we have a tripod right here of 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 I think you know, well, not to sound pious, but like you know, just creators, great mm-hmm. creators. I, I I admire your guys' work. So, likewise, bro. you know, when you when you guys are writing, um, and I mean, I know this is so obvious, but like even if you're in a room with somebody or you're by yourself. If you're not feeling it, if it's not pulling at the strings, if it is just not twisting the knife inside the soul, do you think it's good work? You you want to cut that? Yeah, that's a that's a tough that's a tough thing to say. It the short answer is it feels more authentic and and more quote good when it's really pulling from there and you're like really in that flow state where you're like fuck it's just like coming out. But I think. Um, hitting those it's unrealistic to feel that peak emotion all the time so i think there is something productive in the um would whatever you call that the valley when when it's not really pulling at you um if it's ever forced and it just doesn't come out then and you're just searching for something to put on paper I definitely wouldn't release that as the final product, but I wouldn't discount it either because at least you're putting the rep in to get you through that kind of dry valley. So it's kind of, it's a hard one to answer, man. I would say, um, you're right. I mean, like I would say I wouldn't judge right. that valley period, but yes, the, when it's really hitting, it's, it's going to be pulling and it, it's going to be locked in pretty hard. I think it's like, we spend so much time here. Um, a lot of us, at least, you know, from my standpoint, you know, sometimes it's not for me, right? Sometimes it's for the for the artist that I'm in a room with, yeah. And that's a good example of it's it might not tug at my heartstrings. However, I can be moved. I, I maybe for me, I don't always need it to tug, to pull at my heartstrings or rip my heart out. Um, as much as I could be moved in a in a very like fun way, you know, if I could tap into the most fun I ever had at a bar. You know, when I'm writing a bar song, right? Yeah. Like a drinking thing. Um, or like in, in a lot of cases, like um, I write with this amazing artist uh, that's part of this mother-daughter duo that uh, got on an amazing tour with uh, Jojo Siwa. And the we, bells. yeah. And yeah. so we write a ton of stuff. Me and uh, I write with the daughter of the bells, uh, you know, Kelly, Kelly Jones. And we write, a ton of stuff that's very young and very female, you know? So, but there's a piece of me in there. There's a, there's a big piece of me, but I'm, um, trying to make sure. And, and Kelly and I are both doing this. We're trying to make sure it's in the, in the right context, you know? So when I'm, you know, like we got a song called like my mother's daughter, you know? And I kind of know what, what that probably looks like, but I'm also sticking, you know, uh, you know, I'm thinking about like father son stuff and also my connection with my mother, you yeah. know? So, uh, all that stuff's breathing in there, but we're just putting it in a different frame. You know, I think that happens a lot, you know? Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. If it's not really like pulling at the heartstrings, like we're, like we're saying, then there more often than not is a way that you can associate some aspect of what you're trying to convey with something that does spark that, that sort of reaction yeah. in you. And I yeah. think if, yeah. if we don't know what, uh, if we can't come up with something, like let's say the three of us are in a room and, you know, I throw out this idea and you guys cannot find the, 
the thing that, you know, that's in you or in your life or in your, in your memory, then uh, we probably shouldn't write that, right? I think when, 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 when you guys go like, oh, I love that, it's because you probably experienced whatever it is that you're feeling when I say that, like whatever that trigger is for you when, when we say that hook. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think that was a great just little conversation right there for, for young writers uh, mm-hmm. who, who, you know, not everything you have to do has to come from that personal place or whatever. I mean, it can it can tap into it and you hope to kind of pull from it a little bit. But Kevin was talking about that little valley area. And sometimes, you know, there's people that have very successful music careers just by writing in that valley area, which is which is great. But it's just kind of learning that balance and not everything you have to do has to just be like, oh my God, yeah. Like, it's okay. Right. Like, <laughs> right. The biggest thing that that I think we can all agree on is, is at the end of the product, once you even read it down or listen to it down, it connects. Yeah. And connecting is, is everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of, you know, uh, younger writers that may not be in town yet, you know, I think, yeah, you, may, you just, you know, touched on a great point. And I, I think just like to add to that, like if you can read that lyric down and it feels like a conversation you'd be having with your buddy, I think when it sounds like a conversation, the minute that it doesn't sound like a conversation, everybody else is going to notice too. Totally. You know? And I think the, the, uh, if you can keep people from being pulled out of it, you know, and keep it just feeling like, Oh, it's just like hanging. Yeah. You know? All right. So, Unless you're in like a hardcore metal band or something. Exactly. Yeah, right, right, right. It, 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 it can't yeah. be, it can't yes. be different. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I want to ask you this question um, and then we're going to, um, we're going to move on. But real quick, you know, Quincy Jones once said, you know, once, once you start talking about money and this is, this is a very important thing. And I don't yeah. think I've asked anybody this this question on the on the bombcast before but you know once you get a group of writers say you're a young writer you get in here whether you're a hit writer or whatever once you start talking about money um god leaves the room yeah can you expand on that just for a little bit first of all it's one of my favorite quotes in the world and i think um there i guess my connection to that quote um you know music row on a, you know, we're all kind of forced to write at our house right now, which is a kind of a bummer. But, uh, you know, I think the best part of Nashville for me, uh, you know, aside from the people, is the ability to write on, on, on those, those uh, you know, 16, 17, 18th Avenue. And there is a spiritual aspect to this thing, if you want to see it. Again, it's one of those things. you got to open your eyes to it. Um, but you also got to be aware of it, and you got to be taught it. And sometimes, and, um, yeah, so I think, yeah, the, the conversation of money you know, has no business in, in the room, but I think what does have, have a lot of business in the room is whatever you can do to, um, connect with something greater than yourself. You know, when, when we, we throw around like all these Nashville music row cliches, like, writing what's in the room and the vibe and all this stuff. But I think what we're, what we're all really saying is there's something bigger than us and you can believe whatever you want to believe, but there's something in that room that we're trying to attach to. Hopefully we're, that's our goal. Some people aren't. And, and that's kind of like, you know, the other side of that Quincy Jones quote. And I'm not really interested in, in writing with those people. I'm trying to feel something. And I feel like, you know, me as 
as the songwriter, I'm just a vehicle. I'm just the pen, you know. Um, meanwhile, there's something greater than me facilitating, you know, and uh, not to get too whatever, but, you know, sometimes you do get those whispers in your ear. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. And that's when really cool shit happens. I don't think we should be so egotistical that we are so great and come up with all this shit, you know, right. on our own. I think, uh, you know, there's there's other things going on, you know. Yeah, I 100% agree, man. And, like, how do you how do you kind of nurture or give back your time to whatever force that is? Do you spend time just, like, kind of zoning out, like meditation? Like, how are you making sure that, like, the metaphorical, like, fields in your mind are like properly you know ready for for a harvest to keep with that analogy sure sure um well you know i've been using the quarantine for a lot of that you know i meditate every day now and but i also and i do i solar write every single day and i do try to connect and i you know i try to only write you know i i've kind of i started this new exercise where i kind of write only from uh an emotion or from some you know something i want to say to somebody from my past present or future nice um i start there you know and i'm like what did what is it that i want to say right so i i could i i I do whatever i can to and doesn't always work right but i just kind of show up till i just kind of stay there till the muse shows up you know yeah but um i learned that whole concept you know everybody gets taught that concept of the spiritual aspect of songwriting and differently right. um i heard it first from jeffrey Steele. nice is that, a, is that a war of art stephen pressfield thing it could be i own that book i still need to write uh, yeah. uh, read it um you hear so many good things about that book and it's a quick read it's exactly what you're oh my gosh about. yeah i yeah. just i've said yeah. it a million times but I, and i've said yeah. a million times that i need to read that book yeah <laughs> and i need to yes absolutely and um but you know, and, and everybody's got their own spin on it. Like I think uh, Jeffrey Steele, he's got also got a, uh, a a songwriting boot camp, which is amazing. I've, I've done that as well, and it's amazing. I love it and learned so much that I didn't learn from anybody else. You know, and it was the holistic side of songwriting. Beautiful. And That's so very it, fucking cool. It was a lot of that. It was it was that whole side of things that's uh, tapping into that spiritual thing, and it's hard to do sometimes, especially. Uh, you know, things can feel mechanical depending on the environment of the room that day. And totally, but, totally. Um, but I think everybody, everybody wants, you know, everybody's there for a reason. I think at the end of the day, everybody's got pretty good intentions. Yeah, man. And, uh, but yeah, I think it's a huge part, a, a huge part of the whole deal. It's like the, as much as we could stay connected and keep that, that line open. Yes. No, 100%, dude. I've been, it's something I've been, I've been really thinking about a lot lately. Cause I, you know, I've been really hyper aware of like how I'm po- poisoning my own well with like stress and doubtful yeah. thoughts and just like letting, you know, even just the whole situation I, I of, of what's going on currently with yeah. the, with the pandemic, you know, I, I watch enough news to get what's going on and then, you know, I turn it off. So I'm not like, I'm purposely not trying to like poison it with like too much media stuff, but even keeping media to a very bare minimum just the like overall collective energetic field that i'm like that we all can kind of tap into like just the social consciousness maybe i'm alone in this but through all this like since there's such a collective like 
kind of mourning going on. It's definitely like been a weird energetic shift that you can't like put your finger on. And so uh, that on top of everything has been like the biggest, the kind of like scariest thing for me. And it was really starting to fuck with me. So I'm trying to be like a lot more intentional of giving that time back to that source of, of creativity, right? Like intentionally like giving my time to sit in silence in meditation or even just going out in my backyard and just being open to it as a way of like saying thank you and like trying to like remind it that I'm thankful for its gifts and that I, I want it to like be a part of my life, you know, instead of just like getting bogged down with all this lower level shit of like fear and panic and right. stress and things like that. And so right. I like the other day, man, we, we have a, a episode, a few, a few episodes back. It was the, called the four pillars of creativity. And one of the pillars is playfulness. And so I was like, what did I used to do as a kid? Cause I was like, whatever made me, I'm the, I'm of the same thing, man. I'm not, I'm not like devout Christian or devout Catholic. I would just like, but I am like a spiritual person And so I'm like, if whatever creative force made me, made me this super empathic, like daydreamy, like kind of weird kid, like, and now like super artsy adult, like (laughs) where did that come from? Why was it so intense as a kid? And where have I gotten away from it now? And I remember, dude, I would just like, all of us did this as kids, but I would do a lot of it. I would just go out and just lay down on my back and stare at the sky, man. And so I've, I've done a lot of that lately. Like we have a lot of big trees in my backyard. So I would just stare under it and just look up and just be like, what do you want from me, man? Like you made me like this, you know, not not being sexist. God could be whatever. Right. uh, Omnipresent. But I think Ariana Grande said God is a woman. Yeah. Yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you know, just asking that question, like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my time back. Like I, I probably haven't done this as much as I should. And like, you know, what, what do you want? What's going to happen? Like, what's the deal? What's the purpose of all this? Absolutely. And like, you know, that's, that's my own form of prayer. And I know a lot of people have that. So oh, God, just, yeah. yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. I love that hundred percent. I get a text from this guy this morning and it goes, dude, are you okay? And it's like 8am. And I, and I said, you know, I, I answered him back. I said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's because he, he was texting me last night. Oh, the text is from me. Yeah. It texted yeah, me. yeah. 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 Cause you're okay. I said, yeah, I'm all right. And, uh, what what I was doing and just going completely with what you're saying is I turned my phone off last night and, and um, you know, my wife and I were just, we're sitting out back here mm-hmm. and we're looking up at the sky, looking up at the stars or uh, it, during the night before or the day before I'm looking up at the sky. I'm listening to the birds for the first time, just listening Trying not to do anything, going on this thing called Digital Digest. Because I think what Kev is saying is right. You know, there is that kind of somber uh, energy in the news, no matter what. And whether it's someone from CNN lifting you up, trying to say, oh, it's going to be fine, it's still somber. Someone from Fox News from the other side saying, oh, we're doing this, it's still, it's not there. There's a weird energy. So it's getting back to those four pillars, getting back to that kind of just, you know, one of my favorite things to do was just, when I lived in Ohio, was just sit out on my parents' deck and just look at the sky and listen to the birds. And that would bring me so much energy. And that's what I did. I did that, like, pretty much all weekend. And I took a little took a little hiatus and I did that because I knew this was going to be a busy week for creativity and you have to do that that playfulness just get back and tune into things that you love to do and I woke up this morning with so much energy ready to just fucking kick ass but I That's think you awesome, need yeah. to do it you need to do it you gotta you know 
stop stop watching the news all the fucking time. Yeah, maybe tune in to see what's going on, but get back to you. I'll be honest with you, man. I don't I have no idea what's going on. But I dude, I I we're all I have, gonna, we're I have all gonna die. I have an embarrassingly exactly. low exactly. knowledge of it too, dude. Yeah. I've purposely Same kept man. my head in the sand because it doesn't dude, fucking it doesn't dude. honestly, what am I gonna do? In the last four years, you could you know, whatever you dig and whatever you don't dig, fine. Don't care because my life has not changed for the negative. Yeah. It's not gonna change based on one person. No, dude. Ever. And it's not gonna change based on one school of thought either, you know. Uh so I just keep the shit off. I, honestly, I don't I don't know what's going on, and I probably don't know enough, but honestly, I don't got time for it. There's other people that need to know that shit. I don't think I need to know that shit right now. I got shit to do. No, you know? totally, dude. Yeah, and dude, I have the same mentality, man. It's not to be insensitive to people who have been really, really affected by this, man. Like, my heart goes out for sure. Oh, completely. Absolutely. But, yeah. like, yeah, 100%. Um, but it's like, you know, I was coming, you know, to get to Steve's, I take I take Franklin Road. And, like, anyone who doesn't live in Nashville um, won't be familiar with this. But that section of Franklin Road coming in uh, to this area is full of, like, ama- amazing houses, dude. Oh, yeah. Just like, and I'm, like, I'm driving down the road, like, looking at all these super rich people's houses. And I'm like, wouldn't you think if our country was on the, like, verge of collapse like all these media channels want you to think that these motherfuckers would be freaking the fuck out there's no way they're going to let these huge beautiful houses that they've worked their ass off for just go because of like because a pandemic sweeps through dude there's something more to the story and like it's just it's it's not worth our creative energy to try to figure it out yeah i think it's like reality is is relative um to what you pay attention to right it's like i think it's more perception than it is like like what we think of reality, you know, we think of reality as like, it's a set in stone thing. Yeah. And everybody should feel the same about it. And you know, it's right there in front of you, but it's just like anything else. Like we, we make choices for better or worse, what we pay attention to. And, um, most of that stuff on TV and some stuff we do need to know. Yeah. And it is to, it is good to know like what, you know, the, the extremes and, 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 you know, who's suffering because of all this stuff. But when it comes to, uh, you know, just throwing opinions back and forth and like, you know, like a lot of these, I, I, I remember, you know, I, got, I have some friends that have worked in, in news in the past and a lot of, uh, I've heard that sometimes you have to make up news. Like, like they have to plant something that they can video for a couple of minutes yeah. so that they can, like overhype the story because there's just nothing to talk about. And yeah. to me, I don't got time for that. No, that's crazy. Dude. I don't even understand it, you know? Yeah. No, you know, they say two types of people are going to come out of this pandemic and it's going to be the people that have actually taken the time to uh, maybe, you know, evolve and have read books and have uh, developed and honed on their skills and have learned to love better and, and find everything that's inside of their home and just appreciate it more. Then there's going to be people that's just going to completely destroy because they don't know what to do with it. I I don't know. I just, you know, we could we could go on forever about this. Yeah. But I, I think I do sit in a room with three people who are taking this time very wisely and are, um, you know, encouraging me too, to, to, to really like and motivate me to to use this time to further develop my skills and, and just learn new things. Read the books. I mean, God, I, I'm, I'm almost done with Mama Mentality, Boom. which was a uh, Thank you so much. And I'm going to pass that so book good. along to my, my man, Mr. McElroy, over here after I get done. 
Love that book. Um, you know, when he died, it was impossible to get that book. I'm, 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 I'm more than halfway done, and just the the man's process is unbelievable. And I think we could all learn from from this man. So, yeah. mama mentality, pe- people, please, if you just want something, just knock around while we're just going through this time, and something to kind of lift you up a little bit. It's just a great book to learn a process of not only a man, not only a player in the NBA, but a champion. It's a champion mindset. It, it's unbelievable and you can use that in everyday life yeah. everyday life yeah to me it's like a self-help book it's not a basketball yeah book. it's not even a basketball and and i would say 90 percent of it it's all about basketball yeah. if that's how you look at if it if that's how you look at it but if you look at it as oh this is stuff i, I should could, be doing every that's day. like yep. my version of this you know yep absolutely Awesome, All right, man. So let's. I, I want to get into this because uh, you're the first person I think we've had on here with. Uh, you know, it's every songwriter's dream. It's when they move here to Nashville, mm-hmm. they want a song that's on the charts. You know, take me there. What happened, Stephanie Quill? What you drink about? How did this become a thing? And what was that like to hear your song on the fucking radio, bro? <sighs> Actually, I haven't. To be honest with you, I haven't heard it on the radio yet. Oh god! Nice. All my, a lot of my friends have. Yeah. All over the place in different places, you know, like <laughs> across the country. I have not heard it yet. Um, but super blessed, and Stephanie is unbelievable. So, basically, um, you know, I mentioned Caroline Mobley earlier. She was somebody very early on when I moved to town. Um, she did a lot to uh, help me out, and I remember when. When that song came out, uh, there's a delay effect to that song. You know, it, it's take it, that that's been a process. And I remember when that one came out, there was a, a few others that had come out, and I realized that most of my cuts were a product of Caroline Mobley. So, oh my God! Like when I when I traced each one back, I was like, oh, that happened because of this. Oh, and it all it, so many of them came back to Caroline. Shout out so, to Caroline Mobley. Seriously, she's uh, an amazing person, amazing person. And um, but anyway, she set up that that co-write with uh, Stephanie, Joey, and myself. And uh, you know, it's sort of a funny story. Uh, you know, me and Joey show up to our, our spot and uh, on Sixteenth Avenue over here, and um. I get a text from Stephanie and says like, Hey, I'm running 15 minutes late, but do you guys like some kind of like, do you like whiskey or do you like liquor or beer? Something along those lines. And I'm like, Oh Uh, yeah. Am I a songwriter? Exactly. Like good with, good with any, but don't have to, you know, I think she, you know, she felt bad that she was running a little bit late, but no, obviously no big deal. And, uh, so we get there, uh, or she gets, she rolls up with a case of Montucky, beer which is kind of like a crafty Coors Light which I love she brought a case to the party yeah yeah Jesus yeah and a bottle of Bellmead whiskey wow so I'm just feeling guilty oh yeah 15 minutes shoot I've had people be an hour late and all they gave me was their sweat exactly and yeah Stephanie's amazing and she's like oh you know, so it was kind of like Joey was going to get one, and I got I got the other one. You know, such a kind gesture, and uh, but it kind of led to a, a pretty cool song. You know, and I think I chose the beer, and Joey took the whiskey because I know I knew Joey liked whiskey, and uh, so we start sipping, we start writing, throwing around ideas. Somebody said, um, "What you drinking about?" You know, and we're like, "Oh, I get it," 
and uh, we just go down that road. And we didn't know what it was at the time. We just uh, we did it. It was pretty easy. Went well. Um, I remember. Uh, I, I, I remember Joey was a little because t- he was drinking the whiskey, right? So. You're gonna get hammered a little quicker than the guy drinking the beer, but <laughs> yeah. it was funny. Like towards the end, I could see Joey like, kind of like dazed and confused a little bit. You know, like <laughs> that's funny. And um, but yeah, we had a cool song and we got a good buzz going. And then uh, a few months later, uh, Carolyn sends us an email and be like, "Have you heard? Uh, have you heard like Stephanie's cutting? Uh, what you drinking about? She just recorded it." And we're like, no way, that's amazing. And uh, so, you know, time passes and uh, eventually it comes out. And, you know, Stephanie is one of the hardest workers that that there is. And they are just killing it, killing it, killing it. But, uh, you know, we have no concept of what this is. You know, we've never, it's never happened to us before. So we don't know uh, what this looks like, or what it's supposed to look like. And, what are the rules and you know like how do you know when it's like you know it's kind of it moves on swimming in the yeah 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 yeah. and um so it was out for a while and then one day it shows up on billboard country airplay at number 59 wow and i'm like oh my god because i thought it was it was just it had it because it was doing so well for so long and you know you just figure you know it might just pass on you know and do its thing and in the universe but uh it had been out for a while and so yeah and and stephanie's doing this on her own yeah you know like with with her and her team are are uh just busting ass on it so yeah debuts at 59 hangs out for a couple weeks and um and then from there uh some really cool stuff, you know, kept getting added to station. It was the top when it came out or when it, when it ended up on billboard country airplay, it was because there was, it was the top 10 most added, um, that week. Oh, sweet. And, uh, yeah, there was a bunch of stations that, uh, that added it that week. And, you know, eventually it ended up on the, on the, um, the air check activator chart and it made its way all the way up to 39. So it's kind of like hovering in that, late thirties, early forties, you know, place, uh, as we speak, which is, which is awesome. But I think it's really cool, man. And me and Stephanie, were, uh, and Joey were talking about it the other day. What's really cool, you know, cause, um, I know there's been some level of iHeartRadio, a relationship there forming. And up until now we've been doing this, they've been doing this on their own. So, you know, we're all reaping the benefits of all this, like, just really grit and hustle and grassroots, yeah. homegrown thing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And now iHeart, if they're if they get in the mix, you know, it could be, you know, who knows what's gonna happen. But uh, it's all a blessing. I just love when the songs come out. Period. But uh, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been killer. But but yeah, it, it's like without the help, it's like imagine what it could do with with some support from some of those heavyweights. You know. No, for sure. That's fucking yeah. exciting, dude. Yeah. Very cool. Julie, I think we were talking about yesterday too. You were like, you know, you, you know, when you are in any creative field and you, you, you know, your parents, they're always worried, oh, and this doesn't come with a 401k. This doesn't come mm-hmm. with a pension. Okay. So what are you doing? But all of a sudden, mom hears the song on the radio right. or, and, and, and it changes things. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, you're actually doing something. Oh, wow. Right. That's oh, crazy. Seriously. Yeah. The, uh, 
you know, I had a conversation with my parents about this the other day. So, or not the other day, but this, they were in town for the holidays, like around Christmas. And we, we had like whiskey one night and we were all a little buzz and saying stuff that we wouldn't normally say to each other. And it yeah. was funny. I was, I was telling my parents, you know, how much I respected both of them from this standpoint that you just described. And it's like, my dad was kind of the one that he kind of thought it was going to happen. He was like the crazy dreamer for me, you know, mm-hmm. like living vicariously, like thinking like he's going to do it. And he would always like, he would wear like whenever I had like merch, you know, I'd have some silly t-shirts or whatever that I made up. Rye dad. He'd be wearing them to like work <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, like ridiculous stuff. Like, yeah. and, um, meanwhile, my mom was like, glad you're doing this. Glad you're enjoying it. Um, you know, she has an artistic background as well. They both do. But my mom was like the more practical one. And I got like 50, 50 from both of them. You know, I kind of, and if you look at what my life looks like, my, how I spent my 24 hours in a day, it's literally half that, half that, nice. you know, but it was, it was pretty cool because my mom, uh, I, I didn't, I kind of thought maybe a lot of this was how I've spent my life was, um, trying to maybe prove her wrong, not in, in a, uh, not in a, you know, aggressive way or, uh, or anything like that, but just in a, in a, like, trust me, I'll figure this out. Mm-hmm. And cause I don't think she ever thought I was going to do it. I yeah. think, I think she was like, as long as he's got a backup plan, it'll be okay if it didn't work out, you yeah. know? And, I hate that. and you know, I, you know, I, I have mentors of mine who they adopt that mentality. And a lot of my friends adopt this mentality too. There's nothing wrong with it. The whole, like, don't give yourself a backup plan, put all your eggs in that basket. Yeah and do the thing. And that's great. Um, for me, I am more creative if I take care of this other part of my life in a, sure. in a different way. Um, it takes that stress off the table. Absolutely. So it's like, I'm very thankful for like what, what she brought to the table for me. But at the same time, uh, yeah, I think I proved her wrong. Finally. Now she like thinks everything's a, you know, a smash, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> what a, I, you know, I, I send her every demo, no matter, like every time I, I finish a demo, I send, I send every demo I do to like three people in my life. Nice. And one of them is my mom. And, Subject uh, line of shit's not working out for me. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. I hate my life. Right. And, and it's like, you know, I'm just trying to get feedback and, and you know, so it's like, she uh, always thinks something's going to happen and like something will happen. And then she'll be like, Oh, now this is going to happen. You know, she really buys into it now, which is cool. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. I wish that maternal sense of like wanting security for your offspring would like, you know, cause I've dealt a lot, a lot with it mm-hmm. in my own, uh, mother son relationship yeah. experience. I just wish it would find a more constructive way mm-hmm. to manifest itself because I think, you know, and it's nothing against moms, man. They yeah. they're trying to do they're trying to do the best they can, but right. it comes off as very doubting. And then we as kids take the adversarial approach to it. Right. We're like, I gotta beat your ass now. Right. Like, why couldn't you just been like, do what you gotta do, man? Right. Like, we'll we'll see what happens. But since you made it such a big fucking deal right. and like made this uh, like put like some doubt in my head and no offense to your mom. If she listens to this, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you know, I just, I'm saying like, you know, I think maybe it's generational too, man. Like maybe our generation now is like, okay, man, like there are wider possibilities when, you know, where they're coming from, there didn't used to be as many opportunities as we have, I guess. And like, 
well, I don't know. I could go on forever about this, but you know, I just, I wish it didn't have to be like that. Man. Yeah. Cause I feel like a lot of artists struggle up against that and it takes what is supposed to be a, a beautiful journey of discovery and taints it with that kind of like, I have to conquer this person's opinion. You know what? Though? Whether you like it or not, you know, I, I, I'm totally with you. And I, I feel exactly that emotion. And I'm, this is another Tony thing. Fuck yeah, Tony. Dude. So, I fucking love Tony, dude. Dude, Tony's, Tony's the greatest. T- so, like, here's the, here's the deal. I think that's a blessing, though. Okay. And and this is why. I remember I went to this Tony seminar, and they gave me, like, free coaching because I bought this package, right? So I get on the phone with the, you know, I first of all, the wheels were already turning from when I came back from the seminar about this this topic. Um, there's this thing that, Called, called the primary question. It's like this one single question that literally drives every single decision that we make. Everything, like um, all day, every day, 365. And for me, mine was, I, at least I thought it was. So you, first you figure out what the question is on the surface and you figure out what it really was on the deeper level. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it tends to be a darker version of this one. Yeah. You know, of the of the the one that you come up with first. And for me, it was how can I I was like, what is the question that drives every decision I make? And it, for me it was how can I be the best? I was, you know, if I look at anybody that I've ever looked up look, looked up to in my life to you know, the effort that I put forth in in different areas of my life and um, you know, it came down to this how can I be the best? And when I, I had this coach and he kind of dug and dug and dug with me and we got to the, we came to the conclusion that this probably came from my mom, you know, she had very high standards and, uh, you know, I I look up to her, uh, to this day, um, in pretty much every way. And, uh, I think I was always trying to impress her. Mm -hmm. Right. And when it came to the music stuff, this was something that, um, she was so adverse to because I was her son and she wanted me to be taken care of. And how was music going to do that for me? Right. Right. right, Yeah. Um, with her coming from where she was coming from, right? Like a different generation and, uh, a different life. And, you know, so, uh, when I realized that's where all that, that stuff came from, I was like, well, let me look at all the stuff that I wouldn't have today. And I wouldn't have, um, put forth, the kind of aggressive effort that I've put forth in all of these different areas, you know, and uh, if it wasn't for her kind of giving me shit or feeling that tension yes, of like, I don't, this underlying, like she never really said it, but you could always feel it. Like you didn't think I was going to do it, you know? And I, you know, if we, I'm sure a lot of us watched the, the last dance, uh, the Michael Jordan documentary, the 10 part. I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for it to come out on Netflix, but I've heard and read enough about it that I could be conversational. So you can, yeah. you can watch it through the ESPN app just for what it's oh, worth. Sweet. Okay, cool. And it's totally free. You don't need a TV subscription. And, but that's kind of how he operates as well. And I kind of relate to that. The, uh, you know, he turns it up as soon as somebody doubts him. Yes, and did did you see his Hall of Fame acceptance speech? Yeah, where he just stood up there and let every fucking person that ever doubted, him, yeah. like a full forty five minutes, yeah. had a list. 
Uh, Rylan Fisher, remember that time in fifth grade right. that you said I couldn't uh, shoot the bank shot? Well, fuck you. Yeah. Uh, Steve Lester, remember that time? It was like, exactly. Wow. Oh, my dude. gosh. This exactly. guy is just driven by... Uh, though I, I have heard that since that speech, he wasn't super stoked with the way he came off on that. I think it was a real eye-opening sp- experience yeah. for him. And uh, I have just... Uh, these are passing articles that I've yeah. read. I heard Jordan of today has like made a lot of peace with that stuff. And I think that that speech was like a culmination of like a lot of pent-up stuff for yeah. him too, man. So, yeah. yeah. Um, dude, that's beautiful, everything you just said. And I come from a very similar background, except I was with... It was a single mom, yeah. only child yeah. relationship. So, like, I didn't, I didn't have like like another half kind of in my ear. It was all that kind of adversarial relationship. Which, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, dude, like, same thing, man. She just wanted the best. She wanted security for me and everything. And, right. But um, at times, it just didn't come off in the best of ways. But Absolutely. I would not be who I am, yeah. and I could not create the way I can yeah. create if it wasn't for that. Exactly. So I can't I can't be mad at it, man. Got to say it's thanks. A lesson, yeah. yeah, that's it for sure. Yeah. No, it is. Absolutely. Well, my brother, we are at that point of the night where, uh, you know, Kevin and I like to ask this question. It's uh, the slogan for our brand. Um, You know, when we ask you this, it's basically whatever comes off the top of your head or out of your heart. But, um, you know, what does bomb your boundaries mean to you? Bomb my boundaries. Well, I mean, maybe this is just really on the surface, but man, that's something I'm always trying to do. I'm always trying to live outside my comfort zone as much as I want to be in it, right? We all want to be in it and comfortable and stuff, but all the good shit is outside, you know, outside those boundaries where where you typically live. And it's cool because once you get out of it, eventually, you know, that starts to feel uncomfortable or f- feel comfortable, right? And uh, you kind of keep going. And I think that's the definition of growth, right? It's like getting, perpetually getting outside of your box, that feeling comfortable. And again, getting outside of your box. And uh, that's what it is. I mean, I think it's, a, I think it's killer. Dude. I didn't know that was your slogan. That's killer. I love yeah, it. Because that's, I think that's how everybody should live, right? Yeah. Like, that's it, man. if you ain't living, what are you doing? Probably dying. No, it's very true, man. And I think, um, you know, a lot of where the origins of that slogan came from was the thought of how many people are giving up prematurely on their on their creative path because of the internal boundaries that they're setting up within their own mind. Yeah. Thinking, you know, have have you read Mindset by Carol Dweck? I haven't. It's it's a really good book, man. It basically just outlines the difference between people with a fixed mindset and people with a growth mindset. Right. And people with a fixed mindset think, you know, you're born with what you have. Your talents right. are your talents. Your intelligence is fixed. Like, you can't read a book and improve it. It's just right. you're fucked. Uh, and then a growth mindset is, of course, the opposite of that. And so that got me thinking uh, when, when I was thinking of that slogan, like, dude, your self-imposed boundaries are the most dangerous. And to bomb through that is like, like you said, man, all the good stuff is on the other side. Yeah. So. Yeah. None of it. It's like every day when I wake up, especially now with the quarantine thing, I'm like extremely regimented right now. And it's kind of difficult, but, um, you know, I, some, you know, I got woken up to some things and basically, uh, every day I'm like, I'm like, I'm like looking for where it feels comfortable so I can jump outside of it. Yeah. Like I get, yeah. I'm like, I'm just looking for opportunities 
to, you know, to get to that other place. Um, so that when we all come out of this thing, it's like, I think it's going to be awesome. Dude, me too, man. I have nothing but high, high hopes and expectations, man. I think people are pent up and everyone's gratitude, even if you're the most ungrateful person has ticked up a notch and like being thankful for just everyday life, I think is a common thread that everyone is sharing right now. So Mm -hmm. when all those like quote unquote normal things come back, people are going to be stoked as like really stoked. Yeah, absolutely. That's a beautiful answer, man. I love that. I love that. And I knew, and you know, we're at the point of the show where we do have to wrap it up. Uh, Guys, we could go on for about four hours. We're almost at the two hour mark. And this is uh, just, would love to have you back on. Love to have you back on and just, and just talk about your philosophies and you know, your, your, your whole mental game always impressed me, man. Just like how you view things and how uh, structured you are, but also open to uh, other opportunities. Mm -hmm. and, And it's unbelievable. You're a great man to know. We love having you on this show, brother. Thank, Thank you, you so much for Thank sharing you. your story. Yeah, this love was a real pre- pleasure, man. I really enjoyed, uh, yeah. really enjoyed talking to you, dude. Thanks so much for having Absolutely, me. Absolutely, man. Love um, you guys. Could you tell the audience, like, you know, where, where can we find you, bro? Where, where can we hear some stuff or just, like, maybe follow you on Instagram? Yeah, yeah. Um, Ryland Fisher Music, as far as Instagram and Facebook go, and uh, there's a website out there. Just throw it in the Google machine. And uh, I got some stuff that I put out recently on my own. I'm going to continue to do that. Every few months I'll throw out something that kind of connected with me from a songwriting standpoint. But also there's a bunch of I – I there's a playlist out on Spotify that I put together with all the, all the stuff that's come out this far that I'm super proud of. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty easy to find, though. Hell yeah, man! Well, it's such a pleasure having you, brother. Thanks so much. We thank and thank you. We could finally we could finally do this. Absolutely. And, uh, thanks for coming down to the warehouse and making it happen, man. Love it. Y'all, uh, stay tuned for uh, more episodes, and uh, you know, stay tuned for more product launches. Uh, Bombersandsleeves.com. Follow us on Instagram at Bombersandsleeves, Facebook at Bombersandsleeves. If you have an idea for a cool idea for a show or anything, uh, or have any questions or want to reach out to any of us, please. Sleeves at gmail.com. We thank our very special guest, Mr. Ryland Fisher. It's been such a pleasure to have you, brother. And uh, don't forget, bomb your boundaries, baby. Peace.